You're listening to All The Best. I'm Danny Stewart. This week, we're sharing stories recorded at All The Best Live, a live storytelling event we put on with help from the city of Sydney. Our lineup of amazing storytellers took to the stage and performed work on the theme of secrets and confessions. We'll be delivering the stories from the night in two parts, with part two coming out next week. In our first story for part one of All The Best Live, Wing shares her experience finding out a family secret. Um, good evening, everyone. Um, I'm a bit surprised about this mic because I often see it in karaoke. So every time when I come to karaoke, I definitely will have a mic and then do this pose and start to sing. Um, but tonight I'm here to share how I discovered my family history and family secrets. Um, before that, I want to share a little bit stuff about myself. So I'm a journalist, I'm actually a Chinese international student who came here in 2014. And now, as Danny just introduced, I'm producing a podcast called Chinese-ish about Chinese Australians. Um, one thing I do find that despite the fact that I'm not Australian, I do share something similar with the Chinese Australians in terms of how to be Chinese. Um, that is, when it comes to family, our family will never tell us anything, like anything at all, in particular when you are a kid. But when you turn adult, in particular after you turn 18, your parents would kind of expect that you know everything from how many great-grand-aunts that you have to how much money they have left to you in the bank account, despite the fact that they never told you the number. So apart from trying to guess how much money that my parents have left to me in the bank, um, I actually spent some time trying to find out about the generation of my great-grand-aunts. And this all starts from when I was a kid eight years ago. Sorry, not eight years ago. I'm, I'm not that young. Um, it should be 15 years ago when I was eight years old. Uh, we, as a family, would go to those, a thing called Tomb Sweeping Day. So this is a traditional Chinese festival happening in April when all your family members from the immediate to the extended one would gather together and go to the graves of your ancestor and do worshiping. And usually I will have to attend twice. One is with my dad's extended family and the other one will be with my mom's extended family. And I was always very shocked because while there are only like six to seven people attending my dad's one, there are like 40, 50, and sometimes it's like 60 people attending my mom's one. And another very shocking fact is that compared to my dad, where I just need to worship one ancestor, I actually have five, all buried in the same grave. And what's more shocking is that Inside the grave, there's my one great-grandfather and four great-grandmothers. So my great-grandfathers, sorry, sorry, my great-grandfather actually had four wives. I was very shocked because in China, 
is very conservative, and many people believe in marriage should be something that you spend on, spend with one person only. In particular, at the time that my great grandfather was, which would be 19th century. Um, although at the time, people do marry a lot of people. Um, so, four for me is not a lucky number but it's also the number of how many wives that I thought my great-grandfather was having at the time. <laughs> and then two years later, in the preparation for this tombsweeping day, I was helping my grandmother um, and two grand-aunts doing the preparation. So you need to actually fold those paper money into the ancient money shape. And sometimes you also need to buy some paper properties like a paper iPhone, paper house, a paper Ferrari, so that your ancestor in the underworld can also use an iPhone or Ferrari. Um, so when I was helping my mother, my great, my, my, sorry, my grandmother preparing this stuff, I overheard her conversation with my grand aunt. My grandma was like, did you remember that apart from the four grand, apart from the four mothers that we are going to visit, there's still another mother. And, the great, and another great grand aunt said, yeah, that's the mother, fat mother. And then there's also a thin mother. They are not there. They were buried other way, uh, elsewhere. I was like, hmm? So there were six wives in total. So I think that's the maximum. <laughs> but two years later, I again overheard a conversation from my uncle. My uncles were playing mahjong with my aunties at the time. And then they were like, Oh, do you remember that when we were kids, we were watching Mother 10 and Mother 12 playing Mahjong? I was like, wait, Mother 10 and Mother 12? Oh yeah, Mother 10 and Mother 12, they love playing Mahjong with um, our neighbors, the Auntie, Auntie Chen, who sometimes will hang out with our grandmother, Grandmother 9. So for my uncles, they have grandmother nine, grandmother 10, and grandmother 12. So at, at that time, I decided to finally discover how many great-grandmothers that I actually have from my mom's size. So me and my cousin do 20 interviews with our relatives. This is also why nowadays I become a journalist because I developed the interview skills at the time. Um, by asking how many wives of my great-grandfather. Um, and we end up finding that my great-grandfather had 12 wives. You can't even finish counting them with your hands. Um, and here's the story. My great-grandfather was kind of rich in mid-19th century in the little town of my hometown in southern China. It's not like the Russian oligarch, that kind of trip, that, sorry, that kind of rich, but he has his own land. 
And it was also a time when China was forced to open their door to the West and started to do business with the West. And it happened that my hometown was close to the sea. And therefore, it became a place where China started to have its commerce and its business um, starting from there. And my great-grandfather saw this as an opportunity, so he started a trading company. But, there, but he needs someone to mind his farming business. So he married a local girl who can help him with the farming. And that's, wh that's when he got my eldest great-grandmother. But at that time, it's also a really sad time because women are expected to only to do one thing, to have child. And it's not just having a child, you must have a boy. And unfortunately, my eldest great-grandmother couldn't have any children. Therefore, my great-grandfather decided to marry another wife, which is my own great-grandmother. And my own great-grandmother had a couple of children. And my great-grandfather decided to marry another wife just to keep having some more children before he can set off and do some more business. So now he got three wives. And as his business getting bigger and bigger, he hired more and more people. And at that time, there were a lot of people from the north part, northern part of China coming to the southern part of China to seek job. And my great-grandfather hires them. Among them, some of them are women who are like really young and they really need a secure job. And some of them would be women that had to run away from their home because they are not doing really good work or because of their family is too poor. So my great-grandfather somehow had a relationship with this woman or or instead of having a relationship, sometimes he would be like being friends with these women and he would be thinking about how I could keep these women to be in this business so that she can escape from what's happening in her family. And at that time, sadly, the only way you can do it is to marry a good man. So that's why at his peak time, as he picked time of his business as well, my great-grandfather would end up having 12 wives. Not all the wives stay with him in the end. Some of them actually went to Hong Kong. And that's why nowadays I have some relatives that I've never faced, I've never met, but they are my relatives. And some of them do move out, of our, move out from our household and live somewhere else. And in the end, there are around six wives staying with him and four of them buried with him in the end. I was quite speechless after I discovered this family history because at the time, I was too shocked about the fact that I have 12 great-grandmothers in the end. Um, but also, I just can't help thinking about my great-grandmothers in that situation. I think about my eldest great-grandmother who have to watch her husband marrying another 11 women just because she couldn't have children. And I also think of my own great-grandmother who got married not because of love, but because of the fact that 
she could have children. I feel really sad for these women. But also, on the other hand, I'm very, I feel very lucky to be in this family because my family has so many history and so many interesting stories. And that's what makes me the, today, the me today. So a long time later, when I was like 19, 20, and I'm already in Melbourne, there's a, there's a day that I decided to write this down and turn it into a fiction. So I kind of make an opening, like imagining my eldest great-grandmother marrying my great-grandfather. And I retell this story to my mom. And that's where the interesting bit. My mom never knew that I figured out that she has 12 grandmothers. <laughs> my mom always thought that this is a family secret that I will not know when I was a kid, but I will somehow know it at 24. Maybe sometimes the ancestor will come to my dream and tell me that, hey, you know what, I actually get 12 wives. <laughs> so I end up opening a new conversations with my mom about my family history, about her story of learning the family history. It's very cool to talk about my mom on this, but on the on the other hand, I'm also thinking, why Chinese people can't just tell each other stuff with, their with what's happening in their family? And I'm very happy to say that when I hear it's not just, this is just, not just my own experience, but also many young people's, young Chinese people's experience with their family, I kind of feel relief and also happy because Wow, this family myth can actually be cross, crossing over the geographical borders. Despite the fact that I'm in China and you are in Australia, we all face this mysterious family secret. That's the story I would like to tell tonight. Thank you. That story was told by Wing Kuang. You're listening to All The Best. I'm Danny Stewart. All The Best is a great place to learn the art of audio storytelling. Never made a story before? No problem. No experience is required. If you'd like to make a story for the show, get in touch. Visit allthebestradio.com. This week, we're sharing stories told at All The Best Live, a live storytelling night we put on with help from the city of Sydney. Our theme for the night was Secrets and Confessions. And up next, Longul shares a story of unrequited love. Um, hi, everyone. This is um, truly the definition of a confession. It's a piece called The Sun and the Architect. And I wrote it about a boy I was in love with. I got it published, and then I gave him a copy. So make of that what you will. <laughs> the room was bright, and the man was dark. The warm, gentle light of the lamp seemed to soak into his brown skin, setting everything but him on fire. 
the creams of the carpets and the greens of the curtains burned softly around him, giving the illusion that his body was bringing light into the room. A beautiful sun wearing an azure shirt and a deep purple lipstick. Without really meaning to, everyone eventually ended up in his orbit. With a bottle of cold apple cider in one hand and the attention of the room in the other, the man gesticulated grandly, using his body to breathe life into the story he was hypnotizing his audience with. No one stood too close to him for fear of either getting in his way or interrupting his rhythm, even as more guests piled into the room. His stage remained untouched. He was magnetic. He pulled laughter from the dozens of lungs around him, breathing it in deeply before releasing it heavily as his own. He laughed unabashedly at his own wit, making up for what could be seen as narcissism with his participation in the widest spaces laughter at his own misfortune. He was simultaneously homely and foreign. His company was warm and his energy was calming. Honey. His voice tasted like honey. It was sweet and smooth, soothing and sexy. Everyone felt at peace in his words. His smile was a conductor, compelling the corners of all other mouths around him to lift up in either joy or amusement, a symphony of souls falling gently and willingly under his command. Comfortable and familiar, even to those who'd never met him before. Strangely, he was also incredibly alien. On the surface, he already looked otherworldly. He was incredibly tall, kissing the ceiling with his long hair tied up into a messy knot. Stray dreadlocks branched out from the top of his bun, painting a vivid portrait of the towering, magnificent trees he emulated. And like said trees, he was obviously filled to the brim with age and experience. Most people forgot he was only 21. Adding to his mystique was his presentation, his lips were glowing violently, seemingly reflecting the lilac eyeshadow that arched over his dark brown eyes. The only visible upon closer inspection, the black hair of his beard washed into a thin shore of matching lilac highlighter. Large black men with beards weren't too often seen wearing makeup. He didn't seem to care. He wore it with pride and grace, daring anyone to question his beauty. Very rarely did such a masterpiece moonlight as both a weapon and a shield.
Only the bottom three buttons of his shirt were done. His bare chest held subtle scars and thick hairs just as dark as the leather harnesses strapping his high-waisted pants snugly onto his legs. His physical appearance alone boasted a radical love and acceptance of oneself. It was intoxicating. It was also so incredibly rare you wanted to be him, but what happened when the lights flickered off, if only for a moment? Should his sun extinguish and the room be filled with ultraviolet light, he would be just as radiant. His skin would be a crime scene, vandalized by a million wounds, glowing like a sacred monument that had been set ablaze. Tragic, beautiful, and deeply disturbing, every inch of his skin would be glowing a fluorescent white, pulsating beneath the rich purple hues of a light that could not be lied to. Gaping wounds wound themselves down his arms and across his bare chest, white rivers stretching across the vast expanse of his body and mapping the violence it had endured. The pain it must have caused still lay woven into the very flesh of the scar tissue, a memory that was far from recent yet all too fresh at the same time. It hurt to look at. It must have been hurting him even more. Some of those rivers sang softly. Older ones were quieter, calmer even. Their melodies painted pictures of childhood ruins and lost innocence. There were too many of these to count. They weren't quite at peace, and it was unclear whether they would ever be, but their currents were gentle, far less violent than they used to be. Their banks had stopped eroding, and a couple even showed signs of recovery. One river in particular sang loudly cacophonously. Its body was nowhere near as large or as wide as many of the other older ones it was surrounded by, but it sang so gutturally it demanded the attention of everything in its vicinity. Like a black hole had somehow appeared on the heart of a sun, its currents were fatal. Moving so fast, the surface of the river looked still to the relaxed eye. It glowed white under the ultraviolet light, brighter than anything else in the room. Despite it only crawling across his upper left chest, the purple lights showed the man was drowning in it. The songs of the river were stealing his breath and breaking his heart. 
It was filling his lungs from the inside out. But his sun remained radiant, and the room's light was uninterrupted. His audience could only see what he wanted them to. They laughed and smiled, oblivious to what a flash of ultraviolet light could have revealed. So the man kept performing, drowning in silence and keeping the attention of the room firmly in his grasp. As his performance drew to a close and he excused himself to get another drink, a hand caught his wrist in its grip. The man looked back and the invisible river on his chest flared, flooding the banks. The architect of that very river stood behind him, holding out another cold bottle of apple cider with a smile. The man smiled back, embracing the architect as the river on his chest tore open just a little bit wider. The architect may never love the man back, but for now the man was happy to be wounded anyway. The architect may not be a good man, but he made the man feel good. Besides, hurting with him felt so much better than hurting without him. Thank you. That story was told by Longall Wakina. Thanks to all our amazing storytellers who took part in All the Best Live. The event was made possible with funding from the City of Sydney. Harvey O'Sullivan did sound on the night and Lindsay Riley filmed the event. Part two of All the Best Live will be coming out next week. All the Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we make these stories and pay our respects to elders past and present. All the Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land, in association with SIN and 3RRR, on Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung and Boonarong lands, and 8CCC on Arunda and Warramungu lands. The All the Best editorial manager is Mel Chun. Emma Pham is our social media producer and Lydia Yosefova is our community and events coordinator. Shiningberg composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find out more at cbf.org.au. You can find more episodes by searching for All the Best wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Danny Stewart. Thanks for listening.